Church. My name is Philip Sitton. I'm a part of the ministry team here, and it is my pleasure and honor to welcome each of you here. If you are a first-time visitor or first-time participant in worship at Calvary, we have a special tool to help you connect with us and us connect with you. It's located in the pew rack in front of you. If you would take that out, fill it out, put it in the offering plate later in the service when it passes you, that will give us a connection. It will help us to answer your questions about our ministry and other ways that we can be of service to the Lord together in this place. So please take note of that. We are in the process of a series about discerning, about learning about discernment related to our faith and our practice. And if you will practice today by participating in all aspects of worship, listening, singing, praying, everything else that will go on, I think that when you leave here, you'll be a little more into discernment and what God wants in your life than maybe you were when you walked in the door. So I encourage you to participate now as we worship.
to you this morning asking that you grant us wisdom. We know that you call us just as Jesus called Simon and Andrew, then James and John, but we often hesitate to listen to the call for us and for our lives. Speak to us, God, and grant us the opportunity to listen to you and receive your wisdom. So today we ask that you'll walk with us as we journey through life. May we take your hand and be led by the Holy Spirit. Fill us, inspire us, and free us to respond generously to your call. We believe that you desire our deepest joy, and it is in your company that our souls can and will be satisfied. We have decided to follow you. And now, through worship this morning and beyond, may our actions match our commitment. Amen. Stay, I'll stay. When you move, I'll move. I will follow. 
At this time, I invite all the children to come join me up front for the children's message. Good morning, boys and girls. It's so nice to see all your shining faces this morning. My name is Rory. I have a question for you guys. Do you always obey right when you are told to? <laughs> well, today in the story that we're going to hear about in Matthew, Jesus' disciples obey right when they are told to. I think you guys are pretty good at obeying right when you are told to. Have you ever played the game Simon Says? Let's play. Simon says, stand up. Simon says, shake a friend's hand. Simon says, shake another friend's hand. Simon says, wiggle it out. Simon sagt, drehen Sie sich um. You guys didn't understand that? Simon says, sit back down. So, the reason you guys might have not understood the last thing I said was because I was speaking in a different language. Is that weird? So sometimes, when we are called to do something, we know exactly what we're called to do. Do you think Jesus' disciples knew exactly what they were being called to do whenever they were told to come follow him? Did they know what was going to happen for the next three years of their lives? No. It took a lot of courage and, and, and really a lot of guts to do that that day. So um, I want to pray with you guys and ask God to give us courage to follow him sometimes when it's difficult for us to understand what he's telling us. Would you pray with me? God, thank you for these children. Thank you for uh, your son Jesus and his call for us to follow. Um, God, it is not always easy to understand the things you're calling us to. Sometimes it sounds like you are speaking a completely different language to us. But God, uh, we trust you and we believe that uh, the call that you put on our lives is important and that we should follow you with courage. Give us courage this day to do that. Amen. Light on. 
Isaiah. Therefore, the Lord waits to be gracious to you. Therefore, he will rise up to show mercy to you. For the Lord is a God of justice. Blessed are those who wait for him. Truly, O people in Zion, inhabitants of Jerusalem, you shall weep no more. He will surely be gracious to you at the sound of your cry. When he hears it, he will answer you. Though the Lord may give you the bread of adversity and the water of affliction, yet your teacher will not hide himself anymore, but your eyes shall see your teacher. And when you turn to the right, or when you turn to the left, your ears shall hear a word saying, This is the way, walk in it. A reading from the Gospel according to Matthew. As Jesus walked by the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers, Simon, who was called Peter, and Andrew, casting a net into the sea, for they were ship fishermen. And he said to them, Follow me, and I will make you fish for people. And he said to them, oh, immediate, Immediately they left their nets and followed him. As he went from there, he saw two other brothers, James and his brother John, in the boat with their father Zebedee, mending their nets, and called them. Immediately they left the boat and their father and followed him. The word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. 
tradition that does not encourage or affirm women in ministry and certainly doesn't welcome them to the pulpit. And when I was 20 years old, God called me to ministry, specifically preaching ministry. So my journey of discernment has been a lot of what do I do now? After some study and some soul searching, I embraced my call and I decided to go to Wheaton College Graduate School in Wheaton, Illinois, which is right outside Chicago. I chose Wheaton over seminary for various reasons, and after two years, I graduated with a Master's of Arts in Biblical Studies, and I moved back to Texas. I expected to step right into ministry after that, but I found every single door closed to me. So what do I do now? This particular what do I do now lasted for four years, and in that time I was certain that God had forgotten me. Then through a series of divinely orchestrated events, I learned about the American Baptist denomination, their history of affirming and welcoming, welcoming women to the ministry, and about one of their seminaries, Northern Seminary, which was located in the Wheaton, Illinois area, some place that I was very familiar with. Through even more divine orchestrations, I discerned I was supposed to go to Northern. I was accepted and received a full tuition scholarship. So I graduate Northern in 2015, and I start sending out resumes. And once again, I get nothing. Two years of nothing. What do I do now? Then a job comes to my attention that is located in Waco. And this grabs my interest more than others because my brother and his family live in Waco. I apply for the job, I meet the pastor, I interview, and I don't get the job. And I was close to devastated. But through that process, it made me realize that I really wanted to live in Waco with my family, my brother, my sister-in-law, 
my one niece and my three nephews, whom I adore. I, I always say that being Aunt Sarah is like the best gig I've ever had. I love it. And I really want to be part of their lives, be a part of them growing up, to be that safe adult that they have in their lives that they can count on. When I was living in Illinois, it, it physically hurt to be away from them. So I decided to move. It seemed like a good time to make a change, to stop waiting and start doing. But moving here meant putting my career on hold. I stopped applying for ministry positions because I'm tied to this geographical area. And I don't know how long I'm gonna be in Waco. Another year, another 10, I just don't know. I love being with my family but now I hurt for my vocation. And so this is the what do I do now that I'm living in right now. But I've learned that being a Christian means sticking with God even when I don't know what to do right now, when I don't know what comes next. And all I can do is try to be faithful in whatever place and whatever season I find myself in and to look for the signposts God might be leaving me and to be ready and have the faith to follow those signposts wherever they may lead.
now, gracious God, may the words of my mouth, may the meditations of all of our hearts together in this room be found pleasing to you. The Lord, you are our rock and our redeemer. Amen. In the book, Blink, The Power of Thinking Without Thinking, author Malcolm Gladwell opens with a story about Kouros, an ancient Greek statue from the 6th century BC that came on the art market and was about to be purchased by the Getty Museum in California in 1985. Now, no more than 200 of these statues are left in existence today, and most of them are in pretty bad condition, or they have been retrieved piece by piece from different archaeological sites. But this one seemed to be in near perfect condition, close to seven feet tall, and the asking price was just under $10 million. So the Getty Museum took the sculpture on loan and began doing some extensive background checks in order to discern its authenticity. A geologist conducted tests with a high-powered microscope and determined that the marble actually came from a cape on the island of Thassos in Greece. The geologist discovered that the sculpture was even covered with a thin layer of calcite, this substance that accumulates on statues over hundreds or perhaps even thousands of years. And after nearly two years of scientific investigation, the Getty Museum concluded that the statue was indeed genuine and moved forward with the $10 million purchase. But when an art historian and museum trustee, Federico Zeri, was taken to see the statue, he decided within moments that it was fake. Another art historian took a glimpse and sensed that while it had the form of a proper classical statue, it somehow lacked the spirit. And a third felt a wave of what he called intuitive repulsion when he first laid eyes on it. So further investigations were made and finally this whole scheme unraveled. It transpired that the statue had been sculpted by forgers in Rome in the early 1980s. They had thought of everything, even using a potato mold to speed up the creation of this calcite substance, which then took only a couple months to form rather than hundreds or thousands of years. And in the end, the team of analysts who had done almost two years of scientific research turned out to be wrong. And the art historians who relied on their initial hunches turned out to be right. In all of our brains, Gladwell argues, there is this backstage process going on that gives us the capacity to sift through large amounts of information, to blend data, isolate details, and come to astonishingly rapid conclusions even within the first one to two seconds of seeing something. And this book called Blink is about what happens during those first two seconds. 
Gladwell says that we are all thin slicing information all of the time. When we go on a first date, when we meet a potential employee, or when we judge any situation that is placed before us. We take a small portion of the person or problem and can extrapolate amazingly well about the whole. But Gladwell says you and I are innately suspicious of this kind of rapid cognition. We assume that methodical investigation yields more reliable conclusions than a snap judgment. But in his book, he concludes that decisions made very quickly can be every bit as good as the decisions that we make cautiously and deliberately. So for the past few weeks, we have been in a worship series on discernment here at Calvary. Two weeks ago, we talked about listening to God in the silence, in those completely unexpected places where we sometimes hear God's voice more clearly, if only we will stop long enough to pay attention. And then last week, we talked about discernment within a community and the importance of bringing together a circle of people you trust who God can use to speak into your different blind spots. But what about those moments when there isn't time to phone a friend or to retreat in the wilderness in order to hear the sound of sheer silence? What about those moments when you are forced to make a quick, in-the-moment decision? Now, I will be the first to admit I am not great at making decisions this way, which is why there are not one but two oversized bags of M&Ms on my kitchen counter this week because they were buy one, get one free in the checkout lane at HEB. So obviously, I needed to buy both the peanut butter M&Ms and the crispy ones. Snap decisions aren't always the best decisions, are they? Sometimes they can lead us to make impulse buys, or we say something hurtful about someone that we immediately regret. We can make snap decisions to engage in gossip that just rolls off our tongues, but once we've said it, we can't take it back, can we? Or we make snap decisions when we agree to do something that we immediately know we don't have the time to be doing, but it was an honor to be asked, or we really don't want to upset or offend the person who asked us, so we just make a snap decision without really thinking through what we are signing ourselves up for down the road. Snap decisions can have significant implications, can't they? Yes, there are some decisions that need to be discerned over time, but then there are other decisions that must be discerned in the moment. And so the question I'd like for us to ask ourselves today is, how can we find discernment even in split-second decisions? And more importantly, how do you and I seek to be led by the Holy Spirit in moments like these? In today's text in Matthew 4, the disciples are asked to make a snap decision. Jesus is walking along the Sea of Galilee when he sees Simon Peter and Andrew out fishing, going about their daily work. And he calls out to them and he says, follow me and I will make you fish for people. And astonishingly, they drop what they're doing. They leave their nets and their work behind and they follow Jesus. Then Jesus sees James and John in the boat with their father, and he calls out to them as well. 
And astonishingly, they leave their work and even leave their father behind in the boat, and they follow after Jesus too. Now, I don't know about you all, but I have always been perplexed by this story. I mean, how do they make a decision so drastic so quickly? Now, Mark is the gospel writer who tends to use the word immediately because his is a very fast-paced gospel. But here, Matthew borrows Mark's favorite word and uses it twice in this story. In verse 20, we read, Immediately, Simon Peter and Andrew left their nets and followed him. And then again in 22, Immediately, James and John, sons of Zebedee, left their boat and their father and followed him. Now, some scholars say that they must have already been thinking about this for quite some time, that there's no way they could have made that decision so quickly. They must have been hearing word about this man named Jesus and what he was doing. And that's certainly a possibility, but we are not given any information in the text to suggest that. I tend to think that if we rationalize the story, we miss out on the miracle that's taking place here. Matthew does not tell us that these four fishermen were among those who heard Jesus preaching about the kingdom of God. They don't see him perform any miracles, walk on water, heal the sick, or anything of that nature either. And Jesus doesn't give them a detailed explanation of what's going on either. Where are they going? How long will they be gone? Will they ever come back? Who will take care of their families? Who will do their work? There are so many unanswered questions in this story. All we are told is that Jesus calls out to them, come follow me. And all we know is that they drop their nets and they follow. Audrey West, who is a professor at the Luther School of Theology says, they receive only a call, no hints about what follows, no details about the mission, no promise of success. Yet remarkably, all four of these people, just as they are, follow after this stranger who interrupts their daily routine. All that is asked of them at this point is simply that they follow as they are from where they are being who they are, as is true for the followers of Jesus who come after them. The meaning of their choice will unfold over time. So I posted a question on my Facebook page this week asking about the snap decisions that people have made and how they've turned out. And as with Facebook, you never know what you're going to get. And one person started talking about the need to make end-of-life decisions for her father who had unexpectedly gone into a coma. Another person talked about going blank on the words of a French aria during her music juries and having to make up an entire verse of French on the spot. <laughs> but I was blown away by this story from a woman here at Calvary. She wrote to me and said this, a group of friends and I were going to a conference in Atlanta several years ago, and as we were climbing the stairs of the MARTA, I noticed a young woman at the top of the stairs who was screaming for help. I looked up and saw that a man had her purse handle wrapped around her neck and was pulling her up the stairway. In a split second, I took off my spiky high heel and ran up a few steps, yelling at him to let go of her. 
He kept yanking her neck, so I aimed my heel at his head and warned him that I was going to throw my heel straight for him. I threw it, he pushed her down the stairs, and my friends and I caught her in our arms. We were able to take care of the woman, and she even came to the conference with us, which ironically was a conference addressing violence against women. The woman shared with us that the man had been following her for the last hour, and she'd been switching up her routine and her route and crying out for help at every spot she could, and no one had stopped to help her. And she was just as upset about that as anything else. Later, I played the whole situation back in my mind, she said, and I began to think of all the worst-case scenarios that could have happened to me in that moment. Like, what would have happened if the man were to have a gun? I pictured him pointing it at the woman and then at me. But making a snap decision forced me to be brave. Because if I had stopped and calculated the risks, I might not have responded in the same way. And as I read this woman's story, I couldn't help but wonder if the disciples would have had a similar response looking back on their decision to drop their nets and to follow Jesus. Maybe making a snap decision forced them to be brave because if they had stopped and calculated the risks, if they had known how radically and completely this would change everything about their lives, I can't help but wonder if they, too, would have responded in the same way. I was struck by another courageous story I heard this week about Dane Fulton. Dane is one of our youngest members here at Calvary, who is five years old. And a few years ago, when, when Dane was only two and a half, a little girl in his class began to have a seizure one day during school. Now the other children in the class became frightened by what was happening to her. Some began to cry or to even run away, and understandably so. But in that moment, Dane made a snap decision to respond in a different way. And he calmly walked toward the little girl. He held her hand as she was having a seizure, and he told her that everything was going to be okay until help arrived. Perhaps that's why Jesus said the kingdom of heaven belongs to such as these. Perhaps it belongs to women who use their spiky high heels to help someone in need, too. You see, sometimes we need discernment to know where God is leading us next. But there are lots of other times when we already know what we need to do. We feel it in our gut which, by the way, is also an important way that the Spirit leads us. And what we really need is the courage to drop our nets and to follow, which means that our lives are going to be filled with snap decisions because we never know where the winds of the Spirit are going to take us next. Now, you and I don't always have the courage to respond this way when God calls us. We're not always brave enough to throw our high heel in the subway or to move toward a friend who is in need when everybody else seems to be moving away. We can be a lot like Peter, who was brave enough to follow Jesus in today's text, 
But later, he makes a snap decision where he denies even knowing who Jesus is. Not once, not twice, but three times. And that's why our decision to follow Jesus is never an isolated, one-time decision. I tell that with people when they are thinking about baptism, that this is just the beginning. This is not a one-time decision. It's a decision that we keep making every day, sometimes every moment of our lives. You and I have to keep making one snap decision after another, after another, after another in this lifelong process of following Jesus. So how do we do this? How do we become people who are able to discern in a moment where God is calling us next and then to have the courage to actually follow? I think the prophet Isaiah has something to say to us in moments like these because he reminds us that although there will be hard times ahead of all of us, God will be right there with us. And when we turn to the left or when we turn to the right, we will hear a voice behind us saying, this is the way, walk in it. Sometimes we hear that voice in times of silence and rest and retreat. Sometimes we hear that voice in the voices of our community who are surrounding us. And sometimes we hear that voice speaking to us in the very instant when we need to hear it the most. And whenever you, wherever you and I find ourselves, our daily work as followers of Christ is to listen to that voice and then to use our God-given courage to follow it. After all, as 1 Timothy reminds us, God does not give us a spirit of fear or timidity, but the spirit God gives us is one of power and love and self-discipline. We began the series a few weeks ago with a quote by Thomas Merton, a monk from Kentucky, actually, who once prayed, Lord, I have no idea where I'm going. I do not see the road ahead of me, and I cannot know for certain where it will end. These are honest words, aren't they? And I know that they are true in so many different ways for so many different ones of us in this room. But in these moments and in these days when we have no idea where we're going next, Merton also offers us a way forward. And he says in these words, my life is a listening. God's is speaking. My salvation is to hear and to respond. And so Calvary, may our lives together in this place be characterized by listening. And as we listen, may we also be brave enough to drop our nets and to follow whenever and wherever God may call us next. And so God, I ask that today you would give us courage For the things that we know in our guts and deep within our souls that you are already calling us to do. God, give us courage to drop our nets and to follow, even when there are so many unanswered questions, and even though we have no idea where we're going next. God, the call isn't to know all the answers to our questions, 
And the call isn't to comfort. The call is to follow. Help us to be people who follow after you day by day and sometimes moment by moment. And help us to reach out and to invite other people into this journey with us because following you is a beautiful, wonderful, terrifying thing. But what a gift that we get to do it together in this place. We ask these things in your name. Amen. Well, you may be here today feeling as if you've been hearing this voice calling you for some time. You know it in your gut. You feel it. Part of this discernment is listening, but as we discover today, a huge part of this is having the courage to follow. And so if you would like to talk with someone more about what it means to follow Jesus, we would love to visit with you in the back of our sanctuary today. Or maybe you've been hearing for some time that God is calling you to join our faith community here at Calvary, where we seek to follow Christ together in this place. We would love to welcome you into our church family today. And so however God leads you to respond, our ministers will be in the back of the sanctuary, ready to receive you and to pray with you as we continue in worship.
Generous God, thank you for your guidance, for the sounds of your still small voice, and for the voices of wisdom and encouragement along the way, the ones who walk with us as we take the next step. We pray for courage to follow your direction and to take these steps forward in our monetary giving, in service, and in our time and energy. Strengthen us to follow in your way. We ask that you continue to give us the knowledge of your will and all spiritual wisdom and understanding throughout our lives so that we may lead lives worthy of you, O Lord. Amen.
are always glad to have newcomers with us here at Calvary. And if you are new, we hope that you will stay around a while after worship and give us a chance to greet you and to get to know you better. Also, I want to draw everyone's attention to the sign-ups in the hallway for our spring small groups. Those are in the hallway on the left-hand side before you walk down the stairs into the Welcome Center. And that's a great way to plug into community here at Calvary, to have a chance to get to know some different people and to respond to what we will be sharing in worship during Lent. Um, those groups will start next Sunday. It's hard to believe that we're getting that close to Lent. And so please pause on your way out and check out a group. Also, as, as we've been speaking about courage this morning, if a few of you would be so courageous as to be the first ones to sign up for a group, a lot of times I think people aren't as willing to sign up for a group if they don't know a few other people in it. So we need a few courageous people to take the plunge. Um, but we have other groups that are already filling up very quickly. So we really would love for everyone to get to be a part of that. And now I'm going to ask Doug to come share with us about next Sunday. I know you're close readers of all the announcements in the worship bulletin. I'm supposed to laugh, right? Uh, there's one in there I want to highlight for you. Next Sunday is a very special day in the life of the church, and we've got it here, installation and 90th anniversary celebration. We're going to honor and observe our 90th birthday at Calvary by having an installation service for our pastor, Mary Alice Birdwhistle. Everything you need to know is in here. We just Please read it carefully. We're going to have Sunday school end at 1030. So Sunday school teachers, please observe that. We want you to come in so you can be greeters because we know we have some former members coming back for this service. We'd like for you to ask some other former members to come back. We also have some Baptist representatives coming from the CBF and Texas Baptist. We want to make them feel welcome. So we're going to stop Sunday school at 1030. We'd like for you all to come on in here. After the service, uh, our own John Singletary is going to have a very brief program while we are eating. And we're going to recognize different generations of uh, Calvary folks that are there. Uh, so we want you to come for lunch. And that means that we need you to bring some food, you know. Old-fashioned Baptists eat food. Church is going to provide the meat, uh, the dessert, a couple of special cakes there, I hope. Uh, but we need your generous size. I think it's called healthy size or something like that. Um, the worship service itself is going to be very special. Uh, our former pastor, some of you who have been around for a while, uh, remember her, Julie Pennington Russell, uh, left here and went to First Baptist Church of Decatur, Georgia. She's now the pastor at First Baptist Church of Washington, D.C. Julie's going to come back and preach. She's going to help us think about the past, but she's going to tell us to look forward. She's a very special mentor to Mary Alice, and we're quite happy uh, she's coming back. We really want you to come next week. This past Friday, just two days ago, I was very uh, happy and very blessed to be a, a co-leader of a session. It's called a breakout session, right? Uh, Texas Baptist Women in Ministry over at Chewett Seminary. And I got to hear Mary Alice tell her call, which I'd heard before. But it was a blessing just to hear her describe her call to ministry and her call to ministry in this place. It's two things here. It's a call to ministry that's clear, it's strong, it's courageous. But it's a call to ministry in this place. And next Sunday, we're going to have a service where we're going to be able to honor that and celebrate that and help in a very formal way 
to say to her, we are blessed that you are our pastor, and we are blessed to be able to serve beside you, along with you, and to support your leadership. I'm going to close with a very selfish uh, sentence. I got to go after her in the session uh, on Friday, and the most fun thing I got to say to a packed room was, I'm sitting next to my pastor. I'm sitting next to my pastor. Next Sunday, we're all going to come, and we're going to commit ourselves to saying to God, we are blessed that Mary Alice is our pastor, and we are going to commit ourselves to being a congregation that says we will work alongside her, with her, and in support of her. Please invite friends. Please bring food. And please come next Sunday. Very special time. 90th birthday installation service. Thanks, Doug. Thank you. Okay, well, will you stand and receive this benediction? Friends, may the God who calls you from this place journey with you as you go. May God delight in you with joy, bringing unimagined graces. Walk with you in darkness, shining light along your way. May God be close to you in pain, giving strength for every moment, and comfort you in fear, granting courage to be brave. May God's love surround you. May Christ's mercy astound you. And may the Spirit abound in you so that you live in the fullness of the God who is with you always. Amen. <laughs>